0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. About 20 years ago this week, my father passed away. He was 67. It was a brief illness, Um, and it was this week as we talked about that amongst my siblings and nieces and nephews and people, it it was a great conversation to remember him and to remember the legacy that we have in him and to talk to so many of his offspring. I had a great privilege as my dad was very sick, and I knew that We knew that he was maybe not going to survive, but he he told me just a few days before he passed, he said, you know, Steve, I don't have anything that I need to tell you. I've told you everything. There's nothing between you and I. It was such a blessing. I I mean, I didn't think there was anything between us, but you never know, man. And you hear stories of people losing their parents and they never got to say whatever it is they needed to say and. And he told me, he looked at me, he said, I don't have anything I need to tell you. Such a great blessing. But it also told me that he knew time was very short. And he was facing that day, not in fear, not in trembling, but in, in confidence. And today, you know, you hear people say that. Do you ever wonder, well, how do they know that? How, do they, how are they confident that they? what's going to happen when they die is... Is going to be actually a good thing. No one wants to die, but we all know we're going to die. What happens after we die is something we need to be very confident in. You hear people say it all the time. You know what? Hey, I know it, and whatever's next got to be better than this. Well, how do you how do you know that? If you're not confident in Jesus, what are you what are you putting that trust in? We hear this all the time. People thinking the next thing is but how do I know? We're in a series called Walking in the Light, and it comes out of what happened at Easter when on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. He paid the price on the cross. He kept his promise when he rose from the dead. He conquered death, and he gave us so many things. And how, how are we going to live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ has paid for our sin? Today, I want to talk to you about this. I want you to know you're going. Living a life that's confident that you're a member of Jesus' family. We're in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 10, verse 22. And if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many people have ever doubted their salvation? You don't need to raise your hand, but... You ever wondered? You ever thought, I don't even know? So many people would say that. I would say almost everyone who's going to be honest... Who's been a follower of Jesus would say, "There's been a time when I didn't know." If you're there today, this is for you. If you've been there, this is for you. If you know people, this is for you today. Because see, I believe that I believe that Jesus wants to be confident, us to be confident. 1 John three thirteen says this: "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, what that you may know." Say that with me, that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to leave today saying, I know. And here's why I know. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. God's word says this At this time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, This feast of the dedication was something that really came as the second and third temple were built. And this was something they celebrated the fact they had the temple again. And that's what this feast of the dedication was. They're in Jerusalem. And John makes an interesting note. He says... It was winter. It was winter. Really interesting literary technique where he says to them, listen, it's not just this season. It's a chilly time. As a relationship between Jesus and the leaders is getting very, very cold. Very, very cold and even dangerous. That's what's happening right here. It's, we're in John. We're about to have Lazarus gets resurrected in chapter 11. Jesus makes his triumphal entry after that. So we're getting near the end of the life of Jesus. And they've, they've kind of had enough of him, Astley. The Jewish leaders, Gerald Borchard makes this comment in his commentary on uh, John. Uh, he says this, he says, the Jewish, let me pull that up for you. He says the Jewish messianic dreams of a great independent Israelite state which constantly seethed in their minds. They were constantly saying there's going to be another state. There's going to be a, a new time where this leader is going to bring us into, this, into a powerful position. It constantly seethed in the Jewish minds just below the surface particularly at festival seasons. It bubbled into sporadic uprisings until they were crushed by the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So we're at about, you know, AD 30 or so right now, and so uh, somewhere between 26 and 35. And so they're constantly looking for this, this leader that's going to take them back to glory. And they're wanting Jesus to tell them, are you the leader? Are you the one? Are you going to institute some kind of a government takeover? Jesus, we're waiting. Would you tell us plainly? Would you tell us plainly? They don't like the way he's been speaking. They want him to be really specific. Yes, I am him. We're going to take over. But you know what? There are already people following Jesus. And Jesus knew that more information was probably not going to help them. Some people are never going to get it, are they? Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. It's a chilling statement right there. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. These people that follow me, they already get it. You don't get it because you're not my sheep. My sheep understand what I'm saying. You don't understand what I'm saying. You know, I have, a, I have a 2017 Subaru Legacy, and it's got a really cool feature. It's got that keyless entry thing, you know, where you just walk up to the car, and you touch the handle, and the lock's open. It's amazing. The car knows the keyless entry system. You know what? You can walk up to every other car in the parking lot. Nothing happens. It's only that car. It's only it's only my car. Jesus saying, "My sheep hear my voice. You don't hear my voice because you're not my sheep. You don't understand what I'm saying. These people understand it. They're less educated than you, which could have been part of the problem. They don't. They understand. You don't understand because you're not my sheep. There's a tremendous difference." Between the sheep of Jesus and those who aren't the sheep of Jesus. And quite frankly, it can be a tremendous mystery. You're like, I know that I've shared the gospel with them so many times. I know they've been in church so many times. I know that they've heard the message. I've shared it. I've talked to them. They just don't get it. They won't get it. They refuse to get it. You probably know people like this. And you're probably related to people like this. And it breaks your heart. And you keep praying. And you should keep praying. Don't give up. Some people, until they become his sheep, they're never going to understand what Jesus is saying. There's an incredible difference there. And Jesus describes his sheep in verse 27. Get this. And this is just a a wonderful verse for you to memorize and be confident in. He says this, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. He's no doubt referring to those who are already following him, and and even us who will follow him in the future. There's people who hear my voice. They get it. They understand. They follow me. I know them. Followers of Jesus, they the first time that you heard his voice, it was probably that time when he led you to salvation, if you've been there. And there was something that spoke to you at the depth of your being that said, I I want you to be mine. I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to be my child. I I remember that at nine years old. I still remember that feeling. It was compelling so much. I felt like I couldn't say no almost. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice throughout their lives. They, they hear me convict them of sin. Amen? Anybody? Don't raise your hand. You can raise your hand if you want to. Um, you hear that when he says to you, Repent. This is wrong. You can feel that uh, in your life saying you need to change your life. You need to repent and follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. That's what characterizes his sheep. You know, a shepherd in those days, um, they would train their sheep to respond to their voice. And a certain shepherd's sheep would only respond to their voice. And that's really what Jesus is referring to here. If you're his sheep, you respond to his voice. But what does a shepherd do for his sheep? Verse 25 Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who is greater than me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is saying, you want me to establish this earthly kingdom? You want me to give you power in this world? He's saying, I give them eternal life. I give them life forever. They'll never perish. And no one, not even you, powerful Jewish leaders, can take them out of my hand. They're mine. You see, Jesus owns salvation. Sometimes people say, Well, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose my salvation. Listen, if you belong to him, you can't get out of it. He owns salvation, he controls, he, it, he's the one who has the power. He's the one I'm trusting. I'm glad I'm not trusting me. Amen? I'm trusting one much, one much more powerful than me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can take them out of my hand. No one can take them out of my Father's hand. He says, I and the Father am one. And if you know your theology, you know that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is all one. It's part of the same Godhead. It's three and one at the same time. It's very hard to understand, but that's how it is. Jesus saying, I am one with the Father. The next verses we find that the Jews pick up the they pick up the stones to stone him for that. I love that we serve a God like that. I love this this shepherd imagery. You may be wondering, well, Steve, let's put a little more flesh on that. What does that look like for me to be led by this shepherd? What does that look like? Well the The greatest imagery of sheep is in Psalm 23, and you know it well. But it really describes how God leads us. Because that's how we know who we are, if we're led by Him. We hear His voice, and if we're led by Him, right? That's how we know we belong to Him. Psalm 23 starts with, you know the phrase, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In those days, you really identified Psalms by the very first line. The Lord is my shepherd. That's how they would refer to it. And that is a declaration by David to say, I belong to Jesus. He didn't know that was his name. He called him the Lord. But I am his. Sheep belong to a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I shall not want. See, if if I'm one of his sheep. I hear his voice and I follow him, and he provides for all of my needs. That's my identity. I'm his sheep. And then he gives us five things that really describe how he provides for us. Five things in Psalm 23 that talk about what it means to follow the shepherd, hear his voice, and to follow him. He says this, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, if you're one of us and you've been around, you know, we talk about this a lot. Has Jesus made you lie down lately? I used to hate to take naps as a kid, didn't you? But Jesus is saying the shepherd makes me rest because we will run ourselves silly. We will never rest. He says he makes me lie down in green pastures. How many of you are too busy to lie down in green pastures? Never really happens. That's why there is the Sabbath. That's why this is the first thing that it says the shepherd does. He cares for his sheep so much, he knows that they need to lie down in green pastures. You need a Sabbath day. You need a rest day. A day where all you really do is worship and rest and celebrate. That's not happening in your life. You need to make that happen. That's what the shepherd is calling you to do. Not only that, he leads me where? He leads me beside the still water. You see, the shepherd knows that his sheep need to be hydrated. How long can you go without drinking water? Before you start to really malfunction, your body starts to shut, The things start to happen that are very bad a day, two days, three days, I think four days you die, I think. Somewhere in that three to five day range. The shepherd knows that you need to be spiritually hydrated. He brings you to places where you can be hydrated, where you can be, not be spiritually dry anymore. If you had those seasons, you've just been spiritually dry, and you're like, man, I need some encouragement. My spirit needs some, some spiritual water. When you listen to the shepherd and you follow him, he brings you to places where you can be hydrated. You can be refreshed. And then he restores my soul, doesn't he? That word restore means to be put back into its original state. Wouldn't you like to have your soul completely clean in its original state? That's exactly what the shepherd does. In those days, what would happen is the shepherd would clean out painstakingly all of the debris and dirt that had accumulated in the wool of the sheep because it had wandered off the path. I love that picture of repentance and being cleaned up. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to leave us dirty and messed up. No. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And do you ever feel like sometimes you're like, man, I've been walking with the Lord, I've just been finding more sin. When I I wasn't walking with the Lord quite so closely, I didn't see how sinful I was it's true, as we get closer to him, he painstakingly goes through our lives and helps remove the things that are causing so much problems in our lives. He restores our soul. That's what the shepherd does. You don't restore your own soul, by the way. The shepherd restores your soul, as we talk about a lot. It's not about trying harder, it's about investing more. It's not about trying, I'm going to be better, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to get a better life, I'm not going to mess up, I'm not going to do those things I did. Listen, you just need to invest your life in the shepherd, hearing his voice and following him. He will clean you up. So grateful for that. So grateful for that. And then he leads us in paths of righteousness. He leads us to walk in ways that bring him glory. He leads us to live a life like Jesus lived for his name's sake. So people can see that he's great. That's why you always look at it. You can tell what kind of shepherd you have by the way the sheep look, right? The sheep are healthy. They look good, producing wool. Then the shepherd gets glory. And that's what, how he leads us. To live a life that brings Him glory. So, sometimes people say, "Well, you know what? I'm wondering if I can do this and still be saved. I wonder if I can do this and still be a Christian." But that's that's not the right question. The right question is, "What can I do to bring Him glory? And what do I need to eliminate from my life that doesn't bring Him glory?" That's really that simple. I, I want I to. He's my identity. He's the one I want to please. I'm just trying to figure out how to train to be the kind of sheep He wants me to be, not what can I get away with? That doesn't bring him glory. It doesn't bring him honor. And the fifth thing the shepherd does, the psalmist David says this. I love this. He says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You may be in a place of fear right now. Maybe some scary stuff happening in your life psalmist says, listen, I I trust you. I trust you in the scary places. And one of the reasons I trust you is because you have a rod and you have a staff. The rod is to take care of any predators or enemies that come after you. It also can be used to discipline you. Side note, if he's disciplining you, you belong to him. So don't be so upset if he's, man, I feel like I'm under God's discipline. Well, you need to repent and follow him. And be glad because he disciplines those that he loves. You're like, oh, I don't really like that. But you do like it, really, because you want to know more than anything that I belong to him. He also has a staff, and that's what grabs you around the throat and pulls you back from making a terrible mistake. Do you ever feel that? Maybe you're feeling it right now. I can't really breathe. He's pulling you back. From disaster. And when you are pulled back from disaster, you know you belong to Him. It should make you feel like, oh, thank you, Lord. You love me enough to pull me back. So those five things is what the shepherd does in terms of leading you. There's also stuff that He is doing for you future. He is doing for you in the future. Look at the verses 5, 6. And the five and six of Psalm 23. You "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the shepherd's picture of heaven for sheep. I'm doing this for you. I always wonder when I was a kid, I memorized this, this song. What does it mean? He prepares a table for me. What is that? It's a picture of a flat, usually elevated table land that he had already cleared the stones, the briars, and cleared off the enemies. Kicked them all out and made this perfect place. And it was usually in the upward plane. It was going up to the table land. He's preparing that. That's what Jesus is preparing. John 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you. My Father's house, there's many places for you to live. It's going to be amazing. He wants us to get ready for it. That's what the psalmist is talking about. He is preparing a place for us. Just like a shepherd prepares a place for his sheep. And it's in the presence of his enemies. The enemies are there, but they can't have any effect. They can't can't touch the sheep. No one can pluck them out of the shepherd's hand. They're still around, but they can't get to you. It's almost like a way to say to the enemies, you see, this is what I do for my sheep. You couldn't do this for them. It says, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. I am overfilled with the greatness of my shepherd. I'm overfilled with the greatness of my God. That's what the shepherd does. In verse 26, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. What an amazing picture of heaven. And we're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks. This is what the shepherd does. He's preparing a place for you. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from my brother on our sibling text. And he said that his daughter, my niece, was about was going to be married next year in May. I was so happy, I was so excited that this event was going to take place, that my mother would be at, and my, my siblings would be at, and my children would be at, and, and my grandchildren would be at. It was, it's going to be an incredible event. You know what? I'm really confident that I'm going. I don't need assurance that my brother is going to invite me to this family wedding. Do you know how I know that? Because he's my brother. We have the same blood. I remember my mother bringing him home from from the hospital. He's my brother. We share blood. You know what? When you follow Jesus, you are a part of his family by his blood. I know that we're brothers, but I also know that we have a long history together. Lots of times. Lots of events, lots of conversations. I know my brother's heart. I know his character. I know that he's invited me to join him. And you know what? I've already accepted. I don't even have the invitation yet. There's nothing but joy in my heart when I think about that. There's no question. Oh, is he going to invite me? Am I going to go? Am I going to miss it? There's none of that because I have, we're related by blood and that blood is confirmed by experience. Many, many times we spent time together. Many times we talk. We live 1,200 miles apart, but we're still brothers. We're still close. And do you know that somebody could come up to him tomorrow and say, you know, you really shouldn't invite Steve. He's a problem. Here's all the sins he's committed this year. And last year. And for the last sixty years. Someone could say that to my brother. You know what my brother would say? I don't care. He's my brother. I know him. He's he's my brother. Get out of my office. That's how it is with Jesus. No one can come to him and say, He's not worthy. He's not worthy. And it may feel that way sometimes. The enemy may say, "You know what? You can't be a follower, of Jesus. Look what you did last night. Look what you did yesterday. Look what you did years ago." Oh no, oh no! I, I'm His by the blood, and that blood is confirmed through experiences. So many times I've heard His voice. So many times I've felt to pull me back. Haven't you? So many times he has spoken to me and I want you to go this way. I want you to do this. I want you to. So many times I've read his word and I felt his power and his presence in my heart. You have felt that, right? That's what it means to hear his voice. And to follow. him. See, so your salvation is founded in blood and it's confirmed in experience. If you're wondering today, am I a follower of Jesus? Has there been a time when you received the blood sacrifice when you said yes and you repented of your sins? And you don't look back over your life and go, "Well, I've lived a perfect life since then, so I'm sa-. no, you look back over your life saying, "I know he spoke to me here, I know he led me there, I know he convicted me over here, I know he he led me in a different direction. I know I heard him in his word, I've got it written down in my book. I know I, I know him because I know his character. Just like I know my brother, I know I'm not going to miss that day at that wedding, but I also know I'm not going to miss that day in heaven. You know, one of the greatest joys of heaven is going to be there in this incredible, greatest party you're ever going to experience, greatest fun you're ever going to have, greater than you can possibly imagine. You know, the worst part of hell is missing that and never having the opportunity again. Knowing that you're missing something amazing you could have had. I love the way John MacArthur puts it. He says this on this whole idea of assurance. He says, if you doubt your salvation, it's either because you aren't saved. It's because you're not walking in a place of obedience and knowing the blessing of assurance. Or it's because Satan is hammering away at you and you need to affirm against that, that no one... Uh, can lay your charge to God's elect. It is God that justifies. He refers to Romans 8, which is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's either because you were never saved or it's because you're living a disobedient life. When you're living a disobedient life, you don't feel related to Jesus. You're not living as a family member. I could do something to act like I'm not a part of my family. I could do that but my brother would still invite me, but I wouldn't feel like I was invited. You know what I'm saying? That's what disobedience does. It disrupts your fellowship with Jesus. And you start to wonder, is he still going to bring me to heaven? It's a normal thing. Are you saved? Are you living a life that's obedient? The third thing, am I being buffeted? Is there an enemy up there accusing me, saying you shouldn't treat those sheep so good? Is there someone going to my brother's office saying, you shouldn't let Steve come to the wedding? Don't listen to that enemy. You're going to trust in Jesus, not in your goodness. I'm trusting in Jesus to save me. Now, what about you? Are you sure? You see, if you're hearing this message, you're invited. If you're hearing this message, you're invited. Have you accepted the invitation? have you accepted the invitation do you have the blood do you have have you experienced the hearing of him do you experience his voice don't leave here today wondering get it right today jesus i'm going to trust you i want to live a life that honors you because honestly i want to feel like i'm going to heaven i don't want to have this question constantly in my mind have you been saved are you walk living an obedient life if you're not today's a good day to repent I, doesn't mean you're going to be perfect tomorrow it just means you're generally you're trying to line yourself your life up with Jesus and third don't listen to the enemy trying to discourage you anything you've repented of you are forgiven of let's pray